I'd like to read from Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. This is what it says. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, this is a reading from the Ten Commandments. There's Ten Commandments... If you read through them, you'll find that each commandment gets one verse, except two of them. And this is one of those that gets more than one verse. In fact, this is the longest one there is. Now the other one is, you, if you back up, you see, you shall make no, for yourself no idol. There should be no other idols. There's, we should not worship anything else besides God. That's the other long one. And then the one on the Sabbath day, and by the way, those two are connected with each other. I'll mention a word about that a little bit later. The command here, although it focuses on rest and the Sabbath, sometimes we miss this, but it also assumes something about work. And notice what it says. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. <clears throat> I'd like to talk first a little bit about work. Then we're going to spend probably the major part of our time on the rest that God calls us to. But just first a word about work. And in order to, to look at this, we need to go right back to the beginning. And so I want to read just a few verses from the book of Genesis very early on. Second chapter, verses 2 and 3. You can follow along here as I read. Chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Okay, here's a word about God. That God works, that God creates, and then God rests. So what we see here is a pattern. This is given to us as a pattern that we see God living out. Now if you back up just a little bit into chapter 1 and verse 27, we read something very interesting. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And it says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so, here's God working and then resting and now we're made in His image. And as we are made in His image, we too are called into this rhythm of work and rest. Now, I think it's very interesting that, you know, when God creates man, it's very interesting where he puts him, because he does not put him on a beach in Honolulu. He puts him in a garden, and 
You know, he says something about that garden, chapter 2, 15. It says, the Lord God took man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it. To work. God, this is before the fall now, God put man in a garden to work it and to take care of it. So, God created us to work. And one of the first things we see from the Scripture is that work then is very sacred. Even gardening is sacred. All of work is sacred. And yes, the fall came, and what happened was now our work becomes frustrating. Now every job takes three times as long. Now when you change out you know, something under the hood, you come out with scraped knuckles. And you know things are much more painful. Having a child became very, very painful. We see that now things decay and now things rust and now things rot and this all was a part of the curse that came upon work, but work is still sacred. So what we have here in, X, you know, in Exodus 20 it not only says that we're to take one day a week to rest, but it also assumes as we see that we will labor six days a week. The majority, a big section of our lives is about work. That's the point here. And work is something that is very, very sacred. Very sacred. You don't have to be a missionary to be doing something sacred. And sometimes I think we, you know, we kind of put that, you know, we put spiritual things like, well, if you're doing something spiritually in work, that's much more sacred than taking care of your yard or running a company or, you know, if you're a mom at home, taking care of your children. We see here that work reflects the image of God and it's something that God calls us to do. So when you are working and you are creating and you are doing things, you are acting out the image of God in your life. So whatever your job is today, that is something that you can do for the glory of God. It's interesting that you know, this is all part of this sacred rhythm, and, and a big piece of that is work. It was established before the fall, and the scriptures make it very clear that it will be a part of our lives after the curse is taken away. In the new heavens and the new earth, work will be a part of our lives. It will just not be frustrating. And we will not, no longer have the futility of work as, as Solomon talks about. So, there is this thing called work and it is a gift from God and it is something that is sacred. There's also rest. And you know, the focus of this, it assumes work, but it's really a call to rest. Really a call to rest. And believe it or not, that's something that we have a very difficult time with. We see here that rest is one of the big ten. And so if it's one of the big ten, then, you know, obviously, it's very, very important. In fact, this was so important that... When God originated this with the people of Israel, He said, if you break the Sabbath, it is punishable by death. 
And God was making a statement there. You avoid this thing of rest and it will be deadly in your life. It is a very serious thing to, to not understand this concept of rest. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit why, about why uh, that is so very, very important. So we'll talk a little bit about first physical rest and then we'll end up with just a word about spiritual rest and the importance of that. First of all, physically, you know, our bodies were not made to go seven days a week. Now, some of you may be, you know, there's those, it just seems there's certain personalities that maybe could do it. You could maybe go seven days a week and get by with it. But most of us, things start to happen to us when we push seven days a week, when we do not take the rest that God here calls us to take. Very, very important. And you know, even if you could go every day, seven days a week, there's something more important going on here uh, in this text. Because God worked six days, and then He stopped. And the reason He stopped was not because He was tired. Right? God didn't stop because He was tired. The Bible says God never tires. And so, God rested even though He didn't have to rest because he was tired. Just because you can push it seven days a week doesn't mean that that is something that is good to do. And so there is a reason here, a definite reason why we need to stop. When you stop, then you begin to ask the question, who's going to make things happen if I don't? If I don't do this, who's going to, then who's going to provide? then who's going to come through for me? You know, if, if I don't make it happen, if I don't do it, then how's it going to get done? I, I, can't, you know, I can't depend on other people necessarily to do it or come through for me. I mean, then the only option left is, if I stop, is, is God, I guess. Which is the point. That's the point. And so, when you... You know, when people stop resting, they stop depending. When people stop resting, they stop depending upon God. And when people stop depending upon God, they turn to idolatry. That's the connection between those two. Is that, you know, if, if, if you push and push and push and you begin to distance yourself from this God that calls you into dependency... You will depend on something. You will find something in your life when you don't take this time to rest and allow God to use it as He desires. We are not very good at this rest thing that God calls us to. One of my favorite stories, and I've probably told it at least once, maybe twice, but I'm going to make it three times. Because it's just so... I think it's so important and makes the point. John Ortberg tells of... Uh, John Ortberg was one of the teaching pastors at uh, Willow Creek for many years. He's now uh, elsewhere, but <clears throat> uh, wrote the book, The Life You've Always Wanted. And in there, he tells of very early on in his life, there was a spiritual mentor that he really admired, a, a great man of God that was in the Chicago area. And he had half an hour to talk with this man on the phone, and he called him up. He had a, he had a tablet... 
tablet in front of him and a pen in hand, and this is a question he got to ask. Tell me the things that, that I need to know in order to become a mature, successful uh, pastor today. There was a long silence. And then the man said, you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So he wrote it down. He said, okay, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, so, okay, what else? what else can you tell me? Long pause. That's all I have to tell you. That's it. There's nothing else I need to tell you. And John Ortberg says, in retrospect, that was the wisest mentor I ever had. Wisest mentor I ever had. You need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And hurry is so pervasive. Do you ever find yourself hurrying even when you don't have to? I mean, our culture, I mean, we're not just busy. We're hurried. You know, Jesus had busy days, but he was never hurried. And so we see here this principle. We see this, that in our, you know, of rest in our culture, which is pushing us and pushing us, and our culture is always trying to help us do things faster. You ever notice that? Now they have shampoo and conditioner in one bottle, right? <laughs> I mean, just one of hundreds of examples. We can make your life... You know, we can create more time in your life so you can, you, know, you can get more hours so you can fill those with more things. And so the volume of things that we can now do in a day is just, you know, incredible. We have, you know, Domino's Pizza. It's all about, they so said, we don't sell pizza, we sell delivery. A pizza to your house within 30 minutes. We'll get it there fast. Everything's fast. We have fast food. and That wasn't fast enough, so now we have drive-through fast food. Um, you know, it's, it's just the way things are. We, we just got done coming out of the book of Acts, and Paul went from Jerusalem to Rome. It took him four months. If Paul had lived in our day, it had taken him four hours. But amazing, you know, and over that four months, there was time. A lot of things happened, but there was a lot of time to just rest. I'm sure Paul spent hours stern of that ship, just looking at the water and just feeling the breeze in his face. But now we, our culture just compresses everything and we not only are busy, but probably the saddest thing, probably the saddest thing is that our biggest obstacle becomes people. Becomes people. Man, that guy in front of me is driving so slow. Or that checkout gap. She's got to talk to everybody going through the line. I mean, you know, we all know what the weather's like. And, and, and people start, you know, getting in the way of our rushed and our hurried schedules and our, and our busyness. You know, even if you're a mom, it's like, kids, let's see, let's see who can take their bath the quickest. Let's have a race and we'll see how. You know, we're always trying to find more time story of an elderly couple who got on an airplane. I read this last week. And they were an older couple and they were kind of moving through, slow through the line in the first class. And this businessman was just, 
you're just getting very irritated with him. And then the food came around, and he had to go above the compartment and get some pills for his food. And, and you know, in the story, this guy was just, he was just getting very, very irritated. And then he inadvertently dropped the duffel bag. And finally, the guy said, what's the matter with you people? This is an elderly couple now on the plane. I'm amazed you can ever get anywhere, he said. You should probably just stay home. And then in anger, he sat down and pushed his sheet back, and the elderly man in back of him had his food tray there, and it all spilled in his lap. And the stewardess came up, and, and uh, she, the husband explained. He said, you know what? He said, it's the first time we've ever flown, and it's our 50th wedding anniversary. She said, well, can, you know, can I get you a, something? She said, what about a bottle of wine? said, sure, that would be great. <clears throat> so she gave him a bottle of wine, and, and he uncorked it, stood up, and offered a toast, and poured the bottle over the gentleman in front of him in <laughs> first class. And it says in the article, the whole first class began clapping and applauding. We know that's kind of the epitome of our culture. And people get in our way. And we are rushed. And God says, you need to learn to rest. You need to learn to slow down. You need to find this rhythm in your life. You know, they did a study with mice, and they gave mice and, uh, <coughs> some amphetamines, and they do cruel things with mice. I would, I would not want to be a mouse. But they're always doing these tests on them, but they gave them amphetamines, and what they discovered was is that they put them in a group, they would frenzy each other, and, and they would die very quickly. It took 20 times the, the amount of amphetamine if they isolated a mouse and put them alone to die as if they put them in a group. And they actually put a healthy mouse with no amphetamines in the, in the group, and that mouse died too. And this cultural impact of this frenzy and busyness and creates all these expectations in our lives. You know, it's killing us. And it's, it's robbing us of our joy. And should it surprise us? The God of this age is out to kill and destroy. And his influence around us in this culture and in our lives is so prevalent. Jesus had a very different purpose. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. This is Jesus' invitation. And it is counter-cultural. Come to me. All you are weary and burdened and... I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. Now, he doesn't say come to church. He doesn't say come to Bible study. He doesn't say come and get involved in the ministry. Now, all those things are important. He doesn't say come to your friends. Friends are important. He doesn't say come on a way on a vacation. He says come to me. Come to me. And I will give you rest. So God has made you to work, but He's also made you to rest. And here is why rest is so critical. Because in this Sabbath principle, here's what God's saying. God is saying, you know, in your week, one day a week, I want you to take a break. And I want you to take a break because I want you to realize that it's not all about you. I want you to realize I'm here. I want you to realize 
that I will provide for you. If you quit for a day, I will still provide for you. And that was a principle in the desert when God provided manna. He said, you know, on Sunday you don't have to collect it. I will give you enough on Saturday. But don't try and take extra on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So what did the people do? They took extra. So on Thursday they said, what if it doesn't come on Saturday or Friday? So they gathered extra. And what happened was just what God said would happen. You try and take extra, it will rot. It will rot. You try and organize your life so you don't need God anymore, it'll rot. You think the four, you know, you think that retirement account is going to provide you the security you need? You may be surprised. We've all been surprised. And so the principle here is that God is saying, you can quit for a day and test me and see if I won't still provide what you need. You don't need to kill yourself. There's a God out here, and I am that God, and, and I want to provide for you in your life. And so when we don't rest, we begin to develop an independent spirit from God. Independence towards God. So I, I can do this. I can provide for myself. I don't, I don't need anybody else. And in that, we begin to say, I, I don't need God. And then we become driven people, and we become independent people. Yeah, I think this is what Jesus, part of what Jesus had in mind when he said, unless you become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, children have qualities that we do not want to emulate. Uh, they can be very selfish. They fight a lot. They can be very, very immature. And they're often just plain naughty. But there are some things about children that Jesus was getting at here. And, uh, you know, children can can rest. They don't have to work all the time. Do you ever notice that? Uh, it was Chesterton that wrote this about children. He said, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again <clears throat> to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that all daisies are alike. It may be that God made every daisy separately, but has, he has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we are. There's just something about kids. And, you know, kids have this ability to live in the moment and, and, and not be rushed, because they're always thinking out here somewhere. Perhaps that was part of what Jesus was getting at when he said, you need to become like little children. Certainly this dependency which comes from being willing to rest, is a big part of it. Let me just lastly <coughs> say a word about spiritual rest. Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. I'm going to read this and try and follow along. It's going to sound a little complicated because it is a little complicated. 
But let me just read it through, and then, and then I'm just going to make a, a very simple statement about it. Before I read it, however, the title in my Bible says, A Sabbath Rest for the People of God. A Sabbath Rest for the People of God. And what we need to realize is that things in the Old Testament that God had people do were often symbolic of something much deeper in the New Testament. And so, you know, we see like, you know, all the sacrificial system in the Old Testament was a picture and a shadow of what was to come. And that was when Jesus Christ would come and, and all, be an ultimate sacrifice for us. And so, the, the Old Testament Sabbath is a picture, a shadow of something that is to come. And so, we're not dogmatic about the Sabbath. If we were, we'd have been meeting yesterday on Saturday. Because that technically was the Sabbath in Old Testament Israel. But there's a principle here that we must not neglect. And the principle is a principle of, of rest. And not only physical rest. It's important that we physically rest. And take time in a week to do that. But this is even more important. This is spiritual resting. And so the final question I want to ask you today is, not only do you have a time of physical rest, but even more important, do you live in this place of spiritual rest? And I'll read the passage and then just say a word about what that is. Uh, Hebrews 4, I'll, I'll put it up on the wall, you can follow along with me. Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. He's talking here now about his people of Israel who refused to believe. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, They shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God set a certain day calling it today. When a long time later he spoke through David as he said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. So, <clears throat> there it is. What, what is he saying? In its simplest form, what Paul is saying here in writing this is, there is a place that God is calling you to where you no longer have to perform for God. You can, you can quit working for God. You can quit trying to be good enough for God. You can quit trying to perform for God. You can quit trying to justify your life before God. You can just 
quit working and start resting. And that, in a nutshell, is what Christianity is about. In a nutshell, Christianity, becoming a Christian, has nothing to do with your working. It has to do with your resting and entering this place. And the way you enter it is through belief. It is through faith. That's why Israel couldn't enter it. Not because they didn't work hard enough, but because they didn't believe with their minds. They didn't have the faith. And so this is this Sabbath rest. It's a place of spiritual rest. It's a place where you come and, and you realize that Jesus Christ did the work you could never do. He lived the perfect life you could never live. He paid the price on that cross and He rose again. And now God's invitation is, come and enter this place of rest. Are you tired of trying to, you know, make it happen yourself? Are you, trying to, are you tried, tired of depending upon yourself? Are you tired of trying and failing and trying and failing? Then come to this place and just give it up. And just start trusting in me. I had a young gal. She was 8th grade. She's in the youth group. She'd grown up in a pastor's home. She's an adopted kid. I remember one youth group. She, she asked this question. She said, So, are you telling me then that that I can just trust in Christ. It has nothing to do with what my work or what I do. So I can just trust in Christ and be saved and then just do whatever I want and take advantage of God's grace. And I, had to, I thought about it for a moment and, and you know what the answer was? Yeah. Yeah, you can take advantage of God's grace. There's always a risk in love. People can always take advantage of you if you choose to love them. They can, they can take advantage of that. You can take advantage of God's grace. God can save you. He can give His life on that cross and you can turn around and spit in His face if that's what you decide to do. But what usually happens is people that understand the profound nature of God's love, people that understand the God that would die for them, don't typically turn around and spit in His face. But God's not saying, if you spit in my face, you're done. God says, you spit in my face and I will still love you. And that is the place of rest that God invites us to. We have this rhythm of work then and rest. Of work and rest. And in our physical lives, God calls us to work, but we always come back to that place where we, we take that time off. And if you start missing that, it'll have profound spiritual implications in your life. You need to quit. And on those days when you quit, you just need to enjoy the fact that that God is providing for you and He will provide. He'll provide an extra measure in your life for the work that you don't do on that day that you just come aside. And perhaps even more importantly, in this area of spiritual rest, this rhythm of spiritual rest in our lives, we find that God is calling us to this place of, of rest. He's calling us to this place where we quit working. We quit trying to be this Christian and understand that it is God's work that has made us this Christian.
Isaiah 30, verse 15. I conclude with this verse. It's to Israel. They were living independently from God. They were trying to do all the stuff. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. But you would have none of it. What, you know, what a sad scenario that is. May that not be. May that not be the scenario of our lives. Father, I thank you this morning for this challenge to us. And Lord, as <clears throat> we just pause here for a minute. And uh, Lord, what are you trying to say to us? But what, what is it that in this last 20, 25 minutes here, what is it that you have been trying to say to us? <clears throat> Lord, in Hebrews it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And Lord, we don't want to harden our heart if you're trying to speak to us. Lord, maybe for some here, it's, Lord, maybe they have heard this invitation to this place of rest, a place of spiritual rest, a place where you call us to fully rely, not on what we can do, but on what you did for us, that you lived a sinless life, that you died for our sin, that you rose again. And that through faith and trust in your work, we can enter this place of rest. And then, Lord, the work that we do, we can do it out of this place of rest, not out of trying to be something for you that we don't need to be to receive your love and your grace. Father, maybe it's for uh, some who have believed and have gotten caught up in the culture and uh, where people are becoming obstacles. And we're missing out on the ministry that you want us to have with people right around us because we're just so hurried. Lord, whatever it is today, might we heed your voice? Might we accept this invitation on this Labor Day of this Sabbath rest in our lives? And uh, Lord, just do your work in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.